Acts, I think. Um, tonight, as you guys may or may not know, we finished the book of Leviticus, and yeah, praise the Lord. Everyone's like, yes, we made it. It wasn't too bad, was it? I thought it was good. Yeah, it's, see Jesus all throughout. Um, so, um, not to sound like a Debbie Downer here, but uh, my Wednesday nights are limited before we're making our transition to our God's next assignment for us. So I have a few Wednesdays left. And instead of starting a new book, um, I'm going to, for lack of a better word, freelance a little bit just each week, see how the Holy Spirit leads. And actually, this is a word that I was mulling over last week, um, but we had our prayer and worship night. So I'm going to tackle it tonight. Um, Really want to share my heart, but work through the text as well. This is from Acts chapter 4. So go ahead and turn in the New Testament to the book of Acts in chapter 4. And once you're there, we're going to go down to verse 23. And I just want to read verse 23 to verse 31. For some of you, it's pretty, like, familiar ground, but maybe for others it's not, and for all of us, no doubt a good reminder. So, Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through 31. When they were released, they went to their friends, and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Verse 27, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness, the word of the Lord. Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. And Lord, I would ask that you would send a fresh, just anointing of your spirit upon us to get this. I know we can comprehend to some level with our natural brain, but would your spirit speak to our hearts and would you change us and would you awaken our souls to prayer? And Lord, I ask that, Lord, why not shake this place? Fill us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to talk about prayer tonight. And what we just read was a prayer meeting that happened 2,000 years ago. I was thinking about this today. If I um, had the capability of going into a time machine, and, and I'm not saying this would be my first destination, but I think it would be awesome to get into a time machine and go back in time and go to a prayer meeting of the early church. 
I would like to go to a, I'm not saying there, and I'm not saying that because they all ended with earthquakes and Holy Spirit fire. We know, we know from Acts chapter 12, they actually sometimes prayed with a, with a lack of faith and things like that. But nonetheless, I would love to go back and be a part of an early church prayer meeting for the simple point that they, to a greater degree than we do perhaps, understood the priority and the privilege and the power of prayer. And there was a vitality and a life and an expectancy, it seems, in their prayer lives that we can lack sometimes, that I'll leave you out of it, that I lack sometimes, but that I want. And guys, what I think now more than ever we need, and when I say we guys, please, I hope you know me well enough by now. I'm never saying you guys out there. I'm, I'm saying me and us, we. One of the things we need is to be reawakened to the need for prayer in the church. Not just in the church somewhere out there, but in my life, this temple, my church, me. And I get glimpses of it, and, and we do as a church, we get sparked sometimes about well, how we need to get back to the basics so much, don't we? Prayer, prayer. It was the driving force of the early church. And so I think it's a privilege that the Holy Spirit chose to record this little prayer meeting. And clearly this is not going to be some exhaustive teaching on prayer. But I think there's some great lessons in here that I want to look at. I'll start by giving the context. And then after I give the context, I want to just look at four things basically. Number one, if you're a note taker, number one, that they prayed. That's going to be the first point. They prayed. Boom. That they prayed. Number two, how they prayed. Number three, what they prayed. And number four, we'll look at the answer to their prayer and we'll mix into that applications for us all along the way. But, but obviously, the, what I just read where it picks up in verse 23, it says, when they were released. The, I mean, if you don't know the story, you're like, wait, who was released from what? Like, what's going on? This story has a lot of context around it. And for lack of time, I'll just give you the story. It's a great read and a short read. So it backs up to chapter 3. Basically, what happened in chapter 3, and you have to remember that the church is young. The Holy Spirit has just recently fallen upon those believers in the upper room. The church has just weeks or months earlier been birthed. Everything's brand new. Everything's in transition. But there we read that Peter and John went to the temple at the hour of prayer. You see, at the temple, there was prayer three times a day. And though it was Jewish prayer and all of that, these guys who are now believers in Christ, they weren't even called Christians yet. They're like, let's just keep doing that. I'm sure that their prayer meetings took on a whole new life at this point. They're on their way to the temple uh, steps in the mount up there to go to this prayer meeting. We know it was the, it was the 3 o'clock hour. There was a guy there. He was in his 40s. We know that from the, the story. He's laying at the gate beautiful. This guy's been a, a cripple since he was born, or he was lame. He couldn't walk since the day he was born. So every day, somebody, a friend or a family member would carry him and lay him at this temple gate so that worshipers, every time they would come by, they would see him, and he would just, he begged. He just got alms, right? So what happened was um, Peter and John are going, and like they always have, and maybe they've passed this guy a hundred times, a thousand times in the past, but on this day, that guy looks at Peter and John, and, and, and they kind of lock eyes, and he, he asks for money. He says, you guys you know, got any money, spare change or whatever? 
And Peter and John say, look, we don't, we don't have any money to give you, but we've got something better. And Peter is just in that moment flooded with uh, something of the Holy Spirit, a, a gift of teaching or a gift of healing and of faith. And, and he reaches out and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And it says he grabs him by the right hand and pulls him up. I could, we have spent a lot of time just on the context in the story. Like, it's one thing to say to somebody, hey, the Lord wants to heal you, be warm and filled, and go your way. It's another thing to say, the Lord wants to heal you, like right now, give me your hand, and pull the guy up. I'm not suggesting you do that unless the Holy Spirit is telling you to do that. But he does that to this guy and pulls him up, and the guy's like, he never walked in his life. He's, his feet are strengthened, his legs have full life. He's standing, we know that he's like holding on to them. He's like day one of walking in his 40s, right? And, he's, and then all of a sudden he's like, I got this, you know? And then he's like jumping and leaping and praising God, and they go up onto the Temple Mount. Now a crowd is gathered, and, and they're all looking at Peter and John, and, and so much so that Peter, who, who's like seizing the opportunity now, says, look, whoa, 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 whoa. I see it in your eyes. Why are you guys looking at us like some great thing that we've done, like we're so holy or whatever? You need to understand it's Jesus and faith in Jesus that made this guy whole. And go back and read it if you've got time tonight or whatever, because Peter's not, I mean, I'm sure he said it graciously, but he did not beat around the bush. He's like, Jesus, like the Jesus you murdered, like the, one, like the author of life that you killed. You know, he's like just laying it out. He's like, but I know you did it in ignorance. Your rulers did it in ignorance. But guys, we're witnesses. He's alive, and it's by faith in the name of Jesus Christ that this guy's here. And they're preaching the resurrection. By the way, the, the story goes on to say later that 5,000 people put their faith in Jesus that day. 5,000 people put their faith in Christ that day. Well, the Sadducees, the, the ruler of the temple, they're all frothy about this, and they come down, and they're like, lay hands on the guys and arrest them. And I never noticed this until today. They arrested the crippled guy, too. Because the, the, it says in the, in the text, the next day, they keep him in jail all night. The next day, it says, the council assembled. And I do want to just take a moment on that because it's really important to understand, to just make this story come alive. When it says the council, it includes Annas, Caiaphas, the high priests. It includes um, all these other guys that are named off. This is the same cast of characters that condemned Jesus to death. Do you understand? This is not some small little podunk. This is like big time. They assemble that crew, the most intimidating crew you could possibly assemble. And they bring them together, and then they call in Peter and John and this crippled guy because it says they see him there, and they're like, we can't deny that a miracle happened. And they're like, hey, so we'll give you the authority to do this. And Peter, not about to deny Jesus again when given the chance, says to this crew, he says, look, if we're being asked who, how this guy healed, you need to understand. And he says the same thing. It's Jesus. And he lays the blame at their feet for killing Jesus. And says it's by, and, and he just preaches Jesus. Well, I'm trying to, I, I wanted this to be the fast part of the sermon. Um. The council, it basically says they couldn't deny that there, a, a notable miracle had been taking place, but they didn't know what to do with these guys because they didn't want them to spread the message. By the way, how sick is that? Not sick in a good way, sick in a bad way. That they can't deny a miracle took place and that everything's true, but they're so holding on to their power structure and their pride and they cannot confess that Jesus is the way because that would mean they'd have to change everything. So instead of just recognizing it was a miracle, which they did, and taking the next step by putting their faith, they're like, no, we got to cover this up. It's crazy. 
And there's like, so here's what they did. It says they charged him. They, they warned him, hey, okay, we see what you guys did, but we're warning you. No more of this Jesus talk. Guys, we need to understand that when they warned them, and, and, and by the way, Peter's response, again, was like, well, look, here's the problem. You have to decide whether it's right. What do you think? To obey God or to obey you? But as for us, we cannot help but speak of the things that we've seen and heard. I love that sentence. Like, I can't shut up because I have to tell people what I've seen and heard. Jesus told us to talk about it. So this is one of those things where we're going to have to disobey you guys. And it says they didn't know what to do. So it says they charged them and they continued to threaten them and then they let them go. You need to understand something. It's not like they were like, yeah, so what are you going to do about it? They were being threatened by the same people that put Jesus to death, that condemned Jesus to death and manipulated the Roman government to carry it out. This is not small. This is huge. This is a game changer in the whole life of the church. Because up to this point, it was all Acts 2.42 and getting together house to house and meeting and no problems. Now there's problems. Now there's something, this is a shift in what's happening. And they're threatened. And this was not an empty threat. These people have blood on their hands already. And that is where we pick up our story. It says they were released from there. And where's the first thing they go? To their people. They went to their crew. They got their people together and said, guys, we got it. And, and notice this. I'm sure they, everybody was curious. Verse 23, when they were released, they went with their friends and they reported all that the priests and the elders had said to them. Can you imagine? I mean, all the rest of the disciples probably no doubt saw them get arrested and were like wondering what in the world happened. They show up and they're like, what happened? Well, here's what happened. They threatened us. This isn't going away. They charged us. We are now doing something illegal in their eyes, but we got to keep talking about it. And they just told them. And here's what they did. Point number one, they prayed. Things got real. And what was their, what did they do? They prayed. They prayed. They prayed. Guys, that may sound like a really, really simple point. But it's so simple, it's easily missed. They prayed. You know, there's a lot of things that we can do as individuals. There's a lot of things that we can do. There's a lot of things that we can be about, we can be busy with. But do you understand that there's only one thing that the church can do? What I mean by that is the church can do a lot of things. But there's one thing that the church can do that the world can't do, and that is pray. We're the ones that actually are the only ones that have access to God Almighty through prayer, and we can pray. We look at these overwhelming things, and life gets real, and maybe it's just a, a personal thing, or you're just stepping back looking at coronavirus or, or co whatever you call it now, COVID. Um, you're looking at the elections. You're looking at all this stuff, and it's so overwhelming. Guess what? The church can pray. Do you understand they had no legal leverage? They couldn't get this guy out of office. There was no voting. There was no picketing. There was none of that. They went straight to the source and went, well, those things maybe had their place, but let's do the one thing that we can do that actually has power and that is only reserved for us to do, and that is pray. When things get real, there's a lot of things that we can do and maybe should do, and there's a time and place to do them, but not to the neglect of the one thing that we must do, 
and that is pray. We can be so busy picketing and so busy Facebooking and so busy doing this and canvassing, and I'm not saying any of those things are bad. Protesting, I'm not even, that's, maybe there's a time and place. But how is it that we could skip over the one thing that actually has power and be so busy with the other things that may or may not affect any kind of change when we can actually go, guys, do you understand that God has changed the, the, the flow of history when people pray? God was going to destroy 3,000 or 3 million people until Moses said, God, don't do that. Have mercy. He interceded and God spared them. Do you understand that? God in his sovereignty has somehow included into this his decision-making, if I can put it like that simply, that when God's people pray, he reacts. James put it simply, you have not because you ask not. And I just want to make this first point, it's super simple, but the point is they prayed. That was their knee-jerk reaction because I believe they understood the privilege, power, and importance of prayer. Are we going to be a church that says prayers? Are we going to be a praying church because there's a world of difference? Are you going to be a Christian that says prayers or are you going to be a praying Christian? Are you going to say prayers or are you going to pray? Because there's a world of difference. Do you guys understand what I'm talking about? What do you want to be? What do you want this church to be? A church that says prayers or a praying church? Maybe I'm saying things a little bit bolder because I'm out of here. (laughs) But would to God that the busiest meeting at this church would be the prayer meeting. When every decision, when every move that we make would be born out of prayer. Oh man, God help us. God help us, revive us. Sometimes we're so busy. But you know why we don't pray? It's hard. And the people that say, oh, all you do is pray, that's because they don't pray and they don't know how hard it is. Praying is the hardest thing you can do. Because you have to say no to your flesh. You have to say no to your appetite. You have to say no to your busy schedule. You have to say no to every distraction. You have to clip this and not do that and go there and learn how to be quiet and be alone and press in and talk to God. But guys, I'm telling you, when we start doing that, you know what you want to do? You want to pray more. You want to pray more. So the point is that they were a praying church. The early church was a praying church. What are we going to be? Let's do it. Let's be a praying church, not a church that says prayers, a praying church, and there's a world of difference. God, help us make that transition. Well, don't we pay the pastor? Now I'm, get, now I'm, getting, now I'm getting a little. It's all of us. We are the church. Well, secondly, I want you to notice that they prayed, and I want to notice, I want to notice uh, with you guys what, uh, or how they prayed. I'll just point out two things, both found in verse 24. It says, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, dot, dot, dot. We'll get to the rest in a minute. I want to just notice two things, and again, this is not some exhaustive study, just two things in the text I want to point out. They prayed, it says, they lifted their voice together. They lifted their voices together. Two things that we can draw from that. Number one, they prayed passionately, and number two, they prayed in unity. They lifted their voices. What does that mean? It means they lifted up their voices. 
It means that they cried out. Did you know that, and I've said this many times in my teachings along the way, that the greatest or the most often used expression to talk about prayer in the Bible is that they cried out. It's cry out, cry out, lift voices, cry out. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, the best style of prayer is that which cannot be called anything else but a cry. They used their vocal cords. They lifted up their voices. Now, Here's what I want to say. That denotes passion. It denotes articulation. They're crying out to God. They're lifting up their voices. I just read in my devotions in the Psalms about lifting our hands and letting it be like the, the, the incense that went up in the tabernacle or the temple. Lifting it up, making a, a, a voice to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that God does not hear our silent prayers. I'm not saying he doesn't hear our thought prayers. Can we all just agree, amen, yes, he does? But there is something to be said about lifting up your voice in prayer. It's kind of a pro tip on prayer, actually. You want to improve your prayer life? Can I just give you a pro tip that that was handed to me? Pray out loud all the time. Whenever you pray, unless it's really socially awkward, pray out loud. Because what it does is it forces you to slow down. It forces you to articulate your thoughts. It forces you to, to just kind of slow everything down and talk to God. And then... Shut up a little bit and let him talk back. (laughs) But say out loud. Cry out loud. What I love about this is they just got the news that their friends were just arrested and threatened never to talk in the name of Jesus again. And so what did they do? They lifted up. They were stirred up. And they're like, oh, my gosh, what are you? They lifted up their voice in prayer passionately. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, James says. I'm not making a case for emotionalism or just being loud. You come to a prayer meeting, there's usually one of those in the crowd. There's sometimes the person that maybe you just need to like reel them in because they're kind of naturally bent anyway and now all the attention's gone off God and you're like just watching this person. Sometimes we need to reel those people in. But can I just say about our church and a lot of the church in the West, we are in no danger of being overly passionate in our prayers. We're not even close to the red line on that. Can I be honest with you? We're in danger of falling asleep in prayer. That's our danger. And we need to wake up. Pray passionately to God. And you know you know another reason why I like to pray out loud is because I need to wake up my soul sometimes. Like David. David talked to himself. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Hope in God. What's the matter with you? That's a good practice. So sometimes I have got to say, stop being so melancholy. Praise God. God, you're awesome. God, and I just begin to pray out loud. And there's just something to be said for that. I'll leave it at that. Take it or leave it. But that's what they did. They prayed out loud with passion, and they also prayed, it says, together. I like that word together. Again, as you know, uh, the original language has some nuances to it. Um, The word together, in one uh, Bible dictionary I was reading, it says it kind of carries the idea of music. Music is made up of all these different notes and various harmonies, but put together, it creates this beautiful sound, right? 
And I love this. They were all praying together in unity. They came at it from different angles, different harmonies, if you would, a different note, different whatever, but they were like-minded in their prayer. And that's a good thing when you're like-minded in your prayer to God. Amen? And oftentimes that happens, it's a spiritual thing. It's when you're in a group or with your wife or with your kids and you're praying and the Holy Spirit's put something on your heart and you're just praying together in unity. I think that there's something powerful about that. I'm not going to write a book on it or anything. I'm just saying I think there's something powerful about that. I heard this example when I was a, a young dad from my pastor and now that I'm an old dad. In fact, I went to the coffee shop today and uh, I got my coffee cup and I looked at the coffee cup, and you know what it said on the coffee cup? Papa Beal. Like the barista knows me. She calls me Papa Beal. Anyways, um, I'm getting older is the point. I have my own kids. But I love this because my pastor uh, used to say, you know, he'd give this example of strength in numbers, right? And he'd say, you know, it's one thing when your kid comes and asks you if you can do something, but when all of your kids come together in unity and ask you something. And I have found that to be true as a dad when my kids were younger, like, Dad, let's go to the park. I don't want to go to the park. Then the other two come in like, Dad, yeah, Dad, let's go to the park, 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 Dad, Dad, park, Dad, park, park. And you're like, let's, let's go to the park, you know. And I'm not saying we manipulate God. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, is that I, I think God loves it when his kids all come together and cry out with unity and just say, God, Father, would you do this? Uh, God, give us unity in our prayers in our prayers. So they prayed with passion. They prayed with unity. You guys can explore that a little bit more if you want. I just wanted to point it out. But let's look now at what they prayed. We've looked at they prayed. We looked at how they prayed, but let's look at what they prayed. So it starts there in verse 24. When they had heard it, they lifted up their voices together um, and they said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and he quotes Psalm 2, verse 27, truly in the city they were gathered together. Then he goes on, and then he gives the request. We already read it, so I'll just kind of come to it. Um, what they prayed kind of divides into two things. Uh, number one, they were giving acknowledgement and praise. Did you guys catch that? From verses 24 through 28, acknowledgement and praise. I'm going to point out two things of how they approached God, two ways, maybe three if we feel lucky. Number one, they called him Sovereign Lord. Did you guys catch that? So, does anybody have anything different other than Sovereign Lord in your translation? Just Lord? Okay. So I'm reading from the ESV. It has Sovereign Lord. If you looked it up in the Greek, which I did, it's actually just one word. It, the idea is sovereign. It's not the same word as uh, karyos or whatever or the other words in the New Testament are. This is actually a word that is used very seldomly in the New Testament, I think like 10 times. And it carries this idea of master and owner. And this is fascinating to me, because think about, stick with me, think about the circumstance. Things just got real. Their lives have been threatened. It is, everything's changing now. And they're praying to God, and they're maybe a little scared, and they're not sure what to say. What do they say? Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord or sovereign, what were they doing? They were acknowledging that God is in control of everything. That's what sovereignty means. 
when they call them sovereign Lord, what they were acknowledging is you are the master, you are the ruler, you are the owner over all of this. There's nothing that escapes you. There's nothing that slipped by. You saw what they did. You see what's going on. They alluded to that when they're like, hey, it says in Psalm 2 they would rage against you, and they did, and they, they talked about how that, that was fulfilled. They talked about the sovereignty of how they killed him, but it was predestined by you. Like they, they're, they're pointing out the sovereignty of God, Amen. The second thing that they do, which is fascinating, is they call him the creator. The creator. It says right there, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. God is the creator. Here's the reason I'm kind of camping on here this for a second. Didn't Jesus teach us to pray like this? Our, what? Father. Abba, Father. Did they not get that lesson? How come? Doesn't it seem a little dry, maybe a little theological in nature, the way they're a little rigid, maybe, how they're approaching? Oh, sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth. You know, like, it seems a little King James to me. But it's perfect. It's not that they didn't know what Jesus said, that we can call God Father. They probably understood that more than any of us. But isn't it fascinating that in this circumstance, they addressed God as sovereign Lord, the creator of all things. Sovereign, meaning nothing escapes you. Creator, meaning nothing's too hard for you. Because, guys, if God created everything, is anything too hard for God? Everything was created by God. The air that we breathe, matter itself, the sun, light, um, the ocean, every, all the animal light, everything, life itself was spoken by God and he created everything out of nothing. How's that to have in mind when you come to him with your problem? See, this is the point. It's not that God needed to be reminded that he was sovereign. It wasn't that God needed to be reminded he was the creator. It's that in the moment, that's what they needed to be reminded of. Amen? They were up against something that was so big for them, so overwhelming, that what did they do? They started their prayer so wisely by saying, you are sovereign God, creator of heaven and earth and everything in it. And what were they doing? They're reminding themselves that nothing escapes you, you're over everything, and nothing's too hard for you. By the way, this is a great way to start our prayers nowadays. Because I think a lot of us in the church are forgetting that God is, is sovereign, and God is the creator. And whether I'm talking about a situation in your life, your finances, your health, your family, your home, or whether you're talking about COVID and the nation and what's going to happen with our island and what about the election, listen, God is sovereign, and he's the creator. He's over everything, and nothing's too hard for him. Amen? How many of you can just go, just take a breath with that one? They spend, the major- they spend this time just reminding, just saying back to God everything that's true of them, but what were they really doing? Reminding themselves of that, how we need to do that in our prayers. Well, they also, I'll add a little bonus point here. They bring up the word of God. They prayed the word of God. That is such a, I mean, we could spend some time on that. I won't, but they, I'll just say this. They recognized what was just happening around them, the crucifixion, the the. the of Jesus and the raging of all that was actually a fulfillment of Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. And they're like freaking out, like we're living in the midst of Bible prophecy being fulfilled. This is crazy. But you're sovereign in God. 
And they're acknowledging and they're praising and they're just telling God who He is and reminding God of His Word. And then we get to the request. Two things I want to note before we actually look at the request. The first thing I want to note is that the acknowledging and the praising of God was five verses and the request is two. There might be a divine equation there. They spent twice as long praising God than they did asking God for stuff. How many of you guys are like me where you got something heavy on your mind and you're, okay, I got to go pray about it. God, I need this. I mean, how many of you guys just start your prayer like that? I do all the time. How much better it is when I start my prayer saying, God, I love you. God, I praise you. God, and I just start telling him who he is. He already knows, but I need to hear it. Praising him, worshiping him. And by the time I get around to my request, I've got a little bit more perspective on things. When we have our prayer meetings on Saturday nights here at 630 and we always start with the time of praise and worship and just acknowledging God for who he is. The other thing I want you to note before we actually look at what they asked for, I want to note what they didn't pray for. They didn't pray that Annas and Caiaphas would be kicked out of office. They didn't ask that the persecution would never stop, would ever stop, I mean. They didn't ask for protection. They didn't ask for it to be easier. They didn't ask for a new political whatever. What did they ask for? Boldness and courage. I'm not saying there's not a place to pray for change and this and that, but it's fascinating to me that these people were actually facing real, actual persecution. They had zero political leverage. They had zero voice. They had zero anything. They were oppressed people as a people group. But now as Christians. And you know what they did? They said, Lord, creator, sovereign God, we're asking that you would grant your servants two things. Number one, that they would continue to speak the word with boldness. No, it doesn't say with boldness. It says with all boldness. I love that. Boldness means courage. God, they're threatening to throw us in jail. They're threatening to hurt us. They're threatening to come down on us. They're threatening to shut down our church. They're threatening to do this. Oh, God, would you give us boldness to keep going? Isn't that crazy? Give us boldness to keep spreading the message that's getting us in trouble. <laughs> How different they pray than us. How different they pray. When it says to... Uh, to spread the word or to continue speaking, how's it, how's it put it? Um, to continue to speak your word. The word for word there is logos or logos, however you want to pronounce it. It just means word. And what it means, it's not necessarily saying the Bible. Help us talk about the Bible. I'm sure it absolutely includes that. But it's kind of synonymous for just the idea of the message of Jesus. Um, I refer you to 1 Corinthians 1.18 where Paul says, the, the, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's you know, salvation. It just means like the message of Jesus. What were they praying for? Give us courage to give out the message of Jesus with boldness. Amen? How many of you guys can identify with that? We're not going to get thrown in jail yet. We're not going to, you know, be threatened in the same way they are. But it's just as hard when you're in front of a family member or a coworker 
or somebody who has got a radically different viewpoint than you do. And in our culture in America, Christianity has been marginalized. We've just been put, they just want everything to do with God pushed to the margins. And if you dare sometimes in a conversation bring up Jesus or bring up what God says, bam, the hammer comes down. Verbally, doesn't it? You could lose your job. You can definitely lose your friends. So it's not nothing. It's not the same as them, but it's still hard, you guys. But you know what we need? We need boldness. Not obnoxiousness. We've got plenty of that. But what we need is God-given courage to just talk about Jesus. I'm so convicted. I'll give you my opinion on what I think about masks. I'll give you my opinion what I think about the government. I'll give you my opinion what I think. I mean, at the drop of a hat. But talk to you about the one who saved my soul from hell. Why am I so wussy that I can't talk about that with the same urgency? I'm talking about me, not you. It really bums me out. I got a tattoo on my arm that says 116. It's a reference to Romans 116. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God to salvation for all who believe. And I put that on there to remind myself not to be a coward. Because the one who was not ashamed of me hung on the cross. If anybody should have been ashamed of anybody, it should have been Jesus being ashamed of me for all the things I've done and how I've shamed him. And yet he hung on the cross unashamed and naked, bleeding to death for my sins. And he wasn't ashamed of me and I'm so embarrassed that I'm ashamed of him sometimes. But you know what? It's difficult. So I get get this. They're praying for boldness. So we'll come back to that in a second. The second thing they prayed for was not only boldness, courage to speak the word that is the message of the cross. I like this. What did they pray for? And they said, help us continue to speak the word while you continue healing and doing signs and wonders. Um, Stretch out your hand to heal and do signs and wonders which are performed through the name of of your holy servant, Jesus. They prayed for healings, signs, and wonders. I love that. Where are you going with this, Pastor Jason? I think it's a good thing to pray for healings, signs, and wonders. 5,000 people got saved when that guy was healed miraculously. Here's the problem. A lot of us are like, yeah, we want signs and wonders, but you know where we want them? We want them at the church service. So we can leave church and go, that was awesome. (laughs) And I don't think that God has any, I mean, I'm sure he loves to heal. He loves to do these things. But I have seen signs and wonders happen. I've seen more of them happen in the context of evangelism, missions, and getting the gospel out. Because, and sometimes I think God just does them because he's so gracious and wants to heal and he wants to do good things. And he's just so awesome that way. But signs and wonders are not an end. They're kind of a means to an end. What is a sign? It's not a destination. It's something that's telling you to go a little bit further, then you'll get to the destination. If I see a sign for, you know, whatever, let's say we're back on the mainland and I see a sign for Magic Mountain. I grew up in Southern California. I want to go to Magic Mountain. I see, I don't stop at the sign and go, we made it, woo! No, you're three miles short. 
Go a little further. And guys, the signs are wonderful, but they're not an end in themselves. They're to push us a little bit further to the destination, who is Jesus. So let's pray for signs and wonders. Let's do that. Why? So that we can tell people about Jesus. Because the real miracle is not actually the sign and the wonder and the healing. The real miracle is that God can reach into the soul of a person and change them from light to dark to bring them from death to life. Amen? That's what really needs to happen. But man, well, how come we don't see signs and wonders? Well, how come we're not out there being more courageous and spreading the word? I don't think God's being stingy with it. I think he'll meet us there. I think if we, want, if we step out, listen, I'm not saying it's some like formula, but I'm saying let's not box God in. We can't look and read this and say, oh, that was for them back then. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same God that healed and did miracles back then has no problem doing them today at all. And if that's what it takes to get someone's attention to get them saved, let's do it. Clearly, these are not things we can manufacture or come up with on our own. It has to be a thing of the Holy Spirit in the moment, right? Can't force these things. But how loco would it be if we actually prayed for this kind of stuff? I'm going to continue, Lord, by your grace to boldly speak this stuff. And if you want to stretch your hand and like do a miracle or pray, let's do that. Amen? Just food for thought. Well, let's look at the answer, then we'll wrap this baby up. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I do not know why God chose to send an earthquake. To Obviously saying, I hear you, and I'm, I'm happy about it. Just like gave him a little... Never happened to me. I don't think it's ever happened again, you know. It's just maybe a one-off. One I don't know, but awesome. But I do want you to note, guys, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, who are we talking about? These are the disciples up two chapters earlier in an upper room. They were waiting, praying. The sound of a mighty rushing wind came in the room. Tongues or, or flames of fire appeared above their heads. They began praying in tongues, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the birth of the church. Wait, wait, weren't they filled with the Holy Spirit back then? Yes, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Woo, just like Jesus said would happen. Well, then what does it mean here that they were filled with the Holy Spirit? It means they were filled up again with the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want to remind you. That the baptism of the Holy Spirit can happen either at salvation, oftentimes after salvation. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, Colossians 1.13 says you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit comes into you. He never leaves you, never forsakes you. But Jesus said, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he likened it to the baptism that John the Baptist talked about, being baptized with the Holy Spirit. I believe that every believer has the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit doesn't have every believer. I believe that every believer can have a subsequent experience with the Holy Spirit called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For what purpose? Jesus said this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. It's not just so you can feel good or be happy. It's that you can have power to do the work of the ministry. Because, guys, we have been called into a ministry that is not possible with natural power. It's a supernatural ministry, and we need supernatural power. 
And I think one of the Christians, reason that Christians spin off and get frustrated and, and, and veer off and kind of lose traction and whatever in the, in the faith is because so often we're trying to do a supernatural job with natural means. My point is, is that even after you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Bible clearly teaches, I believe, through the book of Acts that there are subsequent, quote-unquote, fillings of the Spirit. He's not a liquid. He's not a, a gas. He's the person of the Holy Spirit. But he comes upon your life in fresh and new ways. Paul put it this way, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit in our lives all the time. When were they given the boldness to actually go out and do what they prayed for? When the Holy Spirit came upon them. It does, me, it does me no good to say, guys, we need to be bold for the gospel. Yeah, we need to go for it. Yeah, let's get out there. Yeah. And if you run out that door based on that, you'll get about eight feet and lose it all. We need a supernatural infusion of power by the Holy Spirit, because I don't possess the very boldness I long to have. It is, I have to have a willingness. I'll, I have to come with a, a, a want to. I gotta come with like, okay, I wanna be bold and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be willing to, to talk and, and say the message, but you gotta meet me there with some Holy Ghost. I just said Holy Ghost, like King James Version, Holy Ghost, I like it. Um, I need some Holy Spirit power because I can't do this on my own, amen? We need the Holy Spirit. Um, this is a very challenging sermon to me because I'm not these things. I'm, not, I'm real bold in church with a bunch of Christians looking at me. But I'm just like you at the supermarket, just like you in the day-to-day -day life, out in the lineup or at the store or whatever. My heart pounds and I, I talk myself out of talking to somebody about Jesus and I get worried about what they're going to say or how they're going to, I'm just like you. And I need the Holy Spirit to give me boldness, courage. The only hope for America, forget America, the only hope for the world is the church of Jesus Christ. And the only hope, and here's why. Because the only hope for the world is Jesus Christ. And we're his body. The screwed up, weird as we can be sometimes, we are the body of Christ. He has chosen to use you and me, and we need Holy Spirit boldness to get the job done because we can't do it without him. Amen? So I'm challenged by this stuff. Um, let me read a verse to you, and then we'll just pray. Colossians chapter 4, Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Boy, oh gosh, I'm tempted, but I don't have time to talk about how important thanksgiving is in prayer. But look at verse 3. He says, at the same time, this is Colossians 2, 3, pray for us that God may open us to us a door for the word, that is the message, to declare this mystery of Christ on the account of which I'm in prison, that I might make it clear, which is how I, I ought to speak, I, this is Paul praying this. You guys, like the Paul. Church planner Paul, like Paul who wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Paul, like the boldest guy you'd ever want to meet. And what's he saying? Oh, guys, would you pray for me? For what, Paul? Open doors so I can, so I can share the word of the, the message of Jesus with people. And then when I do, would you pray that I have wisdom and, and I can say it clear like I'm supposed to? How much comfort do you guys get that Paul needed open doors and boldness and wisdom on how to say it? 
hey guys, if Paul needed to pray like that, it's okay for us to pray like that. And this is the prayer I've been, I've been kind of tucking away from myself. Lord, a couple things. Whew. I want boldness, but now I'm going to ask you to open up opportunities. And when you do, would you give me wisdom? We need wisdom in sharing Christ, don't we? You don't just blast people. Sometimes we need to listen. Sometimes we need to have a relationship with people. Sometimes we need to not just try to win the argument. We need to actually listen to people, hear what they're saying, and have a dialogue. Compromise the truth? No, but tell them what we believe? Absolutely. But if they don't believe it, you don't clip them and never talk to them again. Like, we need wisdom on how to do this. But we need boldness. We need opportunity. So that's what I've been praying for. This is stuff that God's working in my life. I share it with you not because I think I'm there and you guys need to come along with me. I share it with you because I'm, I'm right there with you. I see my lack. I see the need. I want, I want to be a man of prayer. I want to be a church of prayer. I want to have boldness and courage. I recognize, like you, the, the needs of the, the hour, unprecedented, heavy, real. How are we going to win this? Well, I can use for you, it's not voting in the right guy. We should vote in the right guy. We should, hopefully, vote and all that stuff. But whoever's in office is not our Savior. It's Jesus Christ. And the only power that actually changes stuff is prayer. And so I'm with you on these things, guys. And I'm almost, like, scared right now. I don't even want to start praying for opportunities because God's like, okay. I see you. <laughs> What if we prayed this, guys, and really meant it? Let's get crazy. Um, I don't know if you came with somebody, uh, if you're comfortable with this. If you're not, don't do it. But if you are comfortable with this, I, I want to just invite you to maybe huddle up just as best you can with rows that are straight. Maybe turn inward with a, just a couple, two, three, four people. And what if we just prayed? Like just before you do that, what, here's what I want us to pray. Pray that God would give us boldness. Pray that God would fill us with his Holy Spirit. Pray that God would give you open opportunities tomorrow morning and the rest of this week. And when he does, then pray that God would give you wisdom and boldness how to use those. But let's pray with faith and let's ask, why can't we ask the same thing they asked? Amen? We're living in real times. It's getting heavy. And what we need more than anything is boldness to get the word of God out. Amen? So Right now, I'm just going to, well, let's just all pray real quick. Father, thank you for the word. Quicken it into our lives tonight. I pray it was useful. I pray, Lord, that you would help us and all the stuff we talked about in Jesus' name.